Welcome to the Bike Run Tristoke podcast. Talking cycling, running and triathlon. We get life outside. I'm Paul Ingpen, editor-in-chief of Triathlon SPR magazine, mountain bike magazine, road bike magazine, and host of the Race to Stanford, Blue Lagoon, and Sprint Triathlons. We'll be hosting conversations with some interesting people who like to bike, run, swim, and multi-sport in general, getting to know them, getting to know what makes them tick, giving advice, and basically celebrating everything that's outside. This podcast was powered by Zwift, the fitness app that turns indoor riding into a game. Explore endless roads, race riders from all over the world, and boost your fitness with monthly training plans and structured workouts. Join the world's training playground, where fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com and start your free trial. Welcome tonight to the Bike Run Try podcast with Zwift. We are enormously humbled and thrilled to have two incredible guests tonight, fresh back from Tokyo, from the Olympics. And unlike the huge able-bodied team that brought back very few medals, these two have brought back three medals, a gold, a silver, and a bronze. And you have to admit that if you watch any of the Paralympics, you suddenly realize that your aches and pains and groans about lockdown and a sore toe or a year off racing pales in comparison to what these people go through every day of their lives. We, uh, we've been chatting offline for a few moments and uh, just listening to Pete talk about uh, being at, uh, in the Berlin Marathon and having a puncture and then having to get support to take him off the course to get a catheter so he could have a wee. I mean, is that not perspective or what? So without any more uh, delay, I would like to firstly welcome Luzan Kutsia, silver and bronze medal winner at the Tokyo Olympic Games just a month ago, and Super Pit, he doesn't need as much introduction because he's a bit of a legend. He has won so many world championships. He was the first quadriplegic who, in fact, tetraplegic to, com- to complete a full Ironman triathlon. I mean, if that's just not enough in its own right. He then went on to win seven Berlin, I mean, he, went, he won seven Berlin marathons. He's won, he went to the Olympic, I mean, to the world champ 70.3 in 2018, and he's just come back with a gold medal, a gold Olympic medal. I mean, those are so scarce and so incredible. And to do that with someone with, with what he lives through every day of his life. And with Luzanne coming back with a, also a world record in her uh, um, T11 category in the marathon and a silver, uh, a silver medal in the 1500 meters. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And what you live through in order to just be able-bodied, to, to be able to, able to go to the Olympic Games, to be able to compete at any level, yet alone win, it's just astounding. I mean, I, I just don't understand. None of us can understand and quite relate to what you go through every single day. So without further ado, let's just talk about this. Luzon, you said you've been blind or visually, extremely visually impaired, which means you can't even perceive light enough to see your hand in front of your face, yet you've run in competitions. Tell us a little bit about what it's been for you to come into this world unsighted, and still be the incredible hero and amazing inspirational person that you are, who's not only an athlete, but also a master's degree holder and an uber achiever in every other sense. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for having me on the podcast. It's really an amazing privilege for me to to be able to join you tonight. And, you know, just to share a little bit of my story, I think us as athletes, 
we really want to share our stories and 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 give people hope and send a message of hope. And I think this is such a great platform to do that. So so thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I basically I haven't experienced life in any other way. So so for me, having no sights is actually normal. Um, people say people say it takes a bit more effort but for me it's it's almost effortless at this point because um that's that's my reality and that's what i know and that's what i have to deal with every day um so yeah i i just try and tackle every challenge you know bit by bit and i had a music teacher always said you eat an elephant one bite at a time and and that's just what i try to do do with my challenges and it's it's just well, it's worked for me thus far, so let's hope it continues working. Well, I think you're onto the whole herd because you passed your your elephant a while ago when you already started winning in South Africa at I think it was like 2012, 13 when you first started becoming really competitive at university. Is that right? Yeah, I I actually started. I always joke and say I started athletics by accident. Um, but I um, was actually just volunteering to run at our athletics first year meet at the University of the Free State because we have an annual athletics first year's meet. And um, my my residence committee member responsible for sport felt that it was so, so inspiring that I ran um, that she actually organized some coaching and stuff for me. So, so I, I tentatively started in 2012 and I went to my first national championships in 2013 um, and and then at that national champs, I actually qualified for my first world championship. So I actually started running very late, um, which I think is a blessing because I think I, I still have a lot more years in my legs. Um, yeah, and I actually, I was never a medal winner. Um, I've always been around, you know, um, in the heats and in the finals and stuff, but th- Tokyo was my first medal. And that was, this is really special for me after eight years of, of tough international competition. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, it does take, they say, 10,000 hours and you've probably put in your 10,000 hours. <laughs> yeah. And you've built probably. up to, to, I mean, yeah, look how many swimmers have blown out by the age of 20, 21. You're right. It does take a bit of time to develop as an athlete. What, what's been motivating you to get better and better and stronger to the extent that, I mean, to go to the Olympic Games, for starters, is hard work. It must have been a big effort to get to Tokyo and then come back with a medal. What's driving you? I think that the most important drive driver for me is that I enjoy running. I enjoy the core sport. So the competing is nice for me, but I also enjoy the training. Um, and I enjoy measuring me against myself um, and, and, you know, just improving my skill set and myself. So, so um yeah, I that's my my biggest drive, I would say. And and giving, you know, being able to share my story on platforms like these and and to give others hope and to make others see that it's everything anything is possible no matter what you do. Um so so yeah, those are my my biggest drivers and then of course, you know, that bit of competition always helps. Yeah, I mean it's I, I mean, it's absolutely and you've nailed all of that. I'd love to hear a little bit more in a moment about what's going to take you further from here because once you've had two Olympic medals and achieved what you have and master's degrees. And I mean, it's very hard to then find motivation to do even better, which we'd love to hear what keeps you going. We've got Pete, super Pete, but a legend in his own kind, uh, a tetraplegic, which uh, Pete, you're going to have to explain what that is. We know you had a car crash. You were a young guy, a triathlete, uh, doing very well in life. You had this radical accident, which completely changed your life. And at some stage, Soon after that, 
you decided to make lemonade out of lemons and you changed a lot of people's lives by being the inspirational person you are. You've been racing at the highest level, seven times Berlin winner, multiple world champion, 100 meters in London. Uh, you've done it all. And now, I mean, you did world champ 70.3, uh, a triathlon, and now you've gone off and done the time trial, the um, the H1 time trial cycling, road cycling, and you got a gold medal at the highest level in the world. I mean, where to from here, Pete? How did you do that? And tell us a little bit about your story, if we, for those who don't know. Yeah, so look, I mean, uh, so I was actually knocked off a, or knocked off my bike by a car um, in 2003, 6 October 2003. Um, and I mean, long story short from there, 42 days in ICU on a ventilator in a coma and so on. I came out as a C6 um, tetraplegic or quadriplegic. Uh, you know, it's just pretty much the same layman's term. Um, the doctors just tend to talk about tetraplegia. Um, but, yeah, and I mean, maybe just to jump into that, you know, tetraplegia, quadriplegia, most people think you can only move your, your head. Um, but it actually just means that all four limbs are affected. And depending on the level of where you broke your neck, you can either have some um, arm function, some hand function, or no arm function, no shoulder function. So my, mine is at C6 level. So essentially the function I do have is I can move my wrists, my biceps, and my shoulders. And that's it. Um, so that's no, it. You, can do, you can do an Ironman and you can win an Olympic gold medal with those muscles. Just, Pete, just yeah. try and explain what that means. I mean, how do you – I mean, I would imagine just for most of us getting out of bed and getting to eat something would be – enough of a work with that kind of limitation how does it work yeah look i think that's the thing you know so i mean in in paralympic sport obviously there's also all these different abilities and different categories um so when it comes to the physical disabilities um i would say we're probably in the weakest category that you can find yourself with the least amount of muscle function and i mean that is the thing i think for a lot of um, people in my position just getting up out of bed is hard um and you know for me i'm hoping through what i'm doing with my life and i mean i think i have may, managed to change the quality of life and the beliefs and broken through barriers so that more guys with you know my kind of disability and sometimes even a little bit more um realize that it isn't actually that hard to get out of bed you're just doing it a bit differently um but i mean yeah so it's it's tough and i mean all always you know everybody's situations are different and um you know, you've got different support structures and uh, and so on. So, I mean, I, I was very blessed, um, you know, that I had a lot of support. Uh, and, I, look, I mean, I have to say my faith saved me as well because, you know, I didn't have one bad day, uh, you know, since I broke my neck. Um, but, I mean, there's a whole story about my faith going into that. You know, I feel I was born to be a quad. But, um, yeah, you know, I've just not had a bad day. I just carried on and, um, you know, it's very hard to understand, but I mean, for me, when people told me I can't, won't be able to dress myself and so on, you know, I didn't believe them. And it was actually fun for me to figure out how I was going to dress myself. Um, because, you know, for people with my level, no hand function, no finger movement, those kind of things, they'll say you can put on a shirt and, and do a couple of things, but you're always going to need somebody. And, uh, you know, for me, I just, yeah, you know, being a actuarial analyst, you know, we tend to find solutions to problems. And that was sort of my, mindset always you know i yeah, for me i wanted to be independent so maybe i was a little bit naive as well <laughs> yeah i mean you're an incredible inspiration and lazan you were talking earlier about support systems i mean pete you've just said now you get people to help you mm -hmm. lazan you've had guides who've helped you you say they're very close friends of yours they remain very close friends 
these people obviously feel a deeper bond, which goes beyond their own sporting careers, their own lives. They feel a connection and a, and a value. And, and you, by the same token, obviously bring them the kind of joy that makes it like a greater and stronger possibly than a marriage or a partnership. I mean, these people are in your lives all the time. And perhaps both of you, Lazan, you can start by telling us a little bit about the people in your lives who make doing what you do, which is the impossible, possible. Well, I hope so because I think I'm quite high maintenance sometimes, but that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, they, they really are truly um, special. And I think um, they are very, you know, they're very unique individuals in the sense that they, um, they, they serve and they're really there to, to support us as athletes. And, you know, it's the same with, with friends and, and parents. It's a very different type of support because they support you you know, your friends and your family support you from afar, but the, your guide supports you right next to you in that high-pressure situation, you know, where it's kind of like do or die. Um, so, yes, it, it is a very different type of relationship. Uh, yeah, it really is. So, and, and do they guide you from the moment you walk out the front door every morning? Uh, tell us a little bit about a, a day no, in the life no. of the <laughs> No, I, I do a lot of my own moving around and stuff. I, I also have a guide dog named Oakley. So she she obviously also supports me. Um, she's my furry family family member, um, and she supports me. So they and they basically handle training sessions and when we go away on team stuff, you know they they would do the the guiding there. Um, yeah, and obviously as needed. So so it depends. Um, but no, they're not worth me every second of the day, and I also. I'm fortunately in the position that I have two guides, so I can I can help. So they can also relieve each other in terms of training, so that they can also do a bit of their own training as well. So, and and the family in your life? Are you are you living at home? Are you in a relationship? How does it, how does your world structure? I work I work at the University of the Free State, so I'm a residence head there. Um, so I manage a res of about 179 girls. Um, or ladies. So you've got a lot of help available. <laughs> I do. Um, and then I have, my my parents are not far, so we have a dairy farm right out of Bloom. So my mom and my dad live there. And then I have a sister who's not far away. She's in Kimberley. Um, yeah. And and I have I have a boyfriend and I have lots of friends. So no, I, I have ample support. I think it's quite appropriate that your master's degree is in social cohesion and reconciliation because... <laughs> If anything pulls us together as humans, it's empathy and respect and aspirations to be like other role models. And I mean, if there ever were two more greater role models in South Africa, I'd love to hear who they are. But Pete, you by the same token also have uh, people around you. You go to, I don't know if you got an office under COVID now, but you obviously are a very successful business guy. And with your kind of limitation, it's not being able to see, but it's being able to get and move and get around. Tell us a little bit about a day in the life of of, of you. Yeah, I mean, the, the the sad part about it is, although I was born with that, is I was born with a degenerative eye disease called choroideremia. So I'm starting to um, struggle in terms of my sight as well. I've lost central vision in my left eye. So I also don't actually know how many years of um, racing competitively and um, being completely independent I do have left anyway. Um but oh, yeah, I mean, you're when there you are saying that with a smile, so it's like, <laughs> like nothing gets you done. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, that, the yeah. thing is, I always say it's like a superpower for me because, uh, you know, we found out about it um, quite late. We were always, we, we became nightline, me and my older brother. 
Um, and then we found out about it when I was in matric. Um, so, you know, since then I feel like it sort of made me chase things and live life to the fullest. You know, that, that's why I talk about it as a superpower because it makes me, you know, wake up every day and go for it. Um, and with a greater sense of urgency. Uh, yeah. I mean, how we should be yeah. not, not wait until failure and wait until injury and yes. excuses. No, exactly. Yeah. You know, so, but, but yeah, you know, so, uh, you know, maybe in the future I'm going to need to catch some tips from Luzon, but, um, uh, luckily at this point in time, I'm, I'm still okay. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, I do drive to the office, um, before COVID. Now, a lot of the times we, we at home, um, but I mean, I'm going to start going back into the office maybe twice a week, um, sort of a hybrid kind of arrangement. Um, and I work as an actuarial analyst at Deloitte. So, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, look, the, my work team also, you know, being a professional athlete, um, you know, support, it's not just your family, like my, my wife and my son, who are obviously team super pit and my greatest support and they, you know, in every session. But I mean, it, it's everybody that plugs in and are part of the journey. And I mean, the team at work allows me to do what I do and train. And, um, you know, we make it work when I have to go race overseas and so on. So, you know, I'm incredibly blessed how they have allowed me to do what I do. Um, and we just make it work. Um, and I mean, then there's tons of people. I mean, I've had some crazy injuries now going into Tokyo, you know, where I broke my shoulder and completely dislocated my AC joint um, when I picked up my son from his preschool, not going 80 k's an hour down a downhill, ironically. Um, but yeah, and I mean, then, I mean, there's doctors and physios and obviously my coach, Reynard Tissink, um, you know, obviously we just help keep the belief and, and do clever training and smart training when those kind of things happen. And, you know, whose doors I can always go and knock on uh, when needed, you know, so so, yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly big, uh, you know, pool of people that's on the journey. My sponsors, you know, they all know who they are and they all know that I'm incredibly thankful for the support I get. So, so yeah, you know, so, uh, but I mean, on a daily basis, it really is my wife and my son, um, uh, Pitman, who, you know, we, I got the nickname Super Pit before my accident and it stuck and now they're part of Team Super Pit and, uh, you know, they're there every training session, travel with me overseas um, to all the races. And it's not my family traveling with me, it's my team, you know. And my son knows more about a bike at four years old than I think most mechanics knows, you know. So, um, I, you know, I'm incredibly blessed that they are on the journey with me and that my dreams became their dreams. Um, but obviously it's a phase, you know, my son is going to go into primary school, he's going to start doing sport and, yeah, you know, then, you know, we'll see where life takes me. Um but yeah, you know, so far so good. And it's just incredible to have everybody on the journey with me. Wow. They say amazing people attract amazing people and uh, we can clearly hear it. I mean, if you if you live your truth and you're a shining light, there's going to be honey uh, bees and I don't know, all the things that are attracted to light around you because uh, it must you must be a wonderful person to be around. And Lizanne, I'm going to ask you next. At what stage did you guys decide to make what depresses other people and what sends other people into a negative spiral into the complete opposite. When did you decide, I'm not going to moan about this. I'm going to go and reach further than the sky. You know what? I, for me, I don't think it was a decision. It's just always been the way that I am. And I, I think, I think what happens to a lot of people is you kind of get stuck in the superficial and, and I've been fortunate enough to always be this way. And I think, uh, that has kind of taught me I have to, you know, make work with what I have. Um, so for me, it wasn't something that, you know, it was a decision one day. It's just, it's my normal. Um, so so I think for me, it's it's never been a, mat a question of, 
um, I have to make this work. Yeah, sometimes, sure, you feel like that for a short while, but it's never been a question of I have to make this work because I was born blind. So for me, this has just always been my reality. Yeah, yeah, which is something we have to think about ourselves. What is your reality? And uh, are you going to make the best of it? Or are you going to moan that you're not somebody else, that you're not Usain Bolt or whoever you might be? Pete, you must have had a decision after the crash and after realizing that you no longer had the the mobility that you had only a few hours earlier? Look, well, I'll jump into that, but I, I want to just also, maybe I think Luzon underestimates herself and maybe the tools her parents and her, her family around her gave her because it is true, you know, there's always this thing about, you know, is it worse to be born with it and not have experienced, you know, life, you know, being able to see you or not as a quadriplegic or whatever versus being born with it and that's just your normal but, I mean, I know not many people who were born like that and that's their normal and um, they didn't carry on with life or they're just not a happy person, you know. So, uh, you know, I think at the same time, I think you have to realize that uh, whether it's just her normal and she just was like that and with her parents and her family and everybody around her just had the right attitude from the beginning from when she was a baby, um, it's still pretty incredible to come out and live life and this is your normal and 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 that's how you are. So I mean, kudos for you, Luzon. Um, yeah, the perfect storm of all the right energies in place, and uh, we need to go. And I see definitely those. have to agree. But but yeah, I look for myself. Um, it's again, you know, everybody wants to hear the story about how you were in a dark hole and uh, why. You know, you were probably asking why and all of these things. And uh, you know, I'm very happy that. The, most people do come out of those dark holes because a lot of times people in a situation with mine where you break your neck or, you know, something really bad happens in your life that changes it so dramatically. Uh, sometimes it takes years. Sometimes they never get out of it. Um, but honestly, for me, I think what makes the story so amazing, uh, and I think that's almost even more of a miracle for me, uh, is that I, it's 16 years and it's very difficult for people to believe it when I say it, but I just carried on. You know, I was running before my accident. I'm still running, just in a different way. Everybody thought my dreams were shattered, and uh, except for one person, and that was me. I just thought they were changed. And, you know, as I said, there, there was a big journey. Uh, you know, I'm a man of faith. I'm not an angel by any means. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think the biggest gift I got from God was my faith. And I had big fights with God, you know, the, earlier the year before my accident, and there was a lot of things that happened and two weeks before my accident, something crazy also happened with my faith and so on. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, the day my accident happened, I was just ready for it. It was like I was being prepared for something big to happen. And, um, you know, you can speak to the people that was obviously there from day one, uh, while I, you know, while I was still in the hospital, I see all those things and they'll all tell you he was just happy and they were all waiting for me to hit the wall. All the psychologists were saying I'm in denial and all those kind of things, and um, I'm obviously still in denial 16 years later. Um, 16 years so, later. And that for me is a miracle. Uh, you know, you know, I believe in miracles, and, you know, if God wanted to make me stand up and walk one day, he probably can, but I think I'm right where I should be, and um, I think the greatest miracle is that I'm sitting here with a bigger smile on my face, and I haven't had any issues sitting in this wheelchair, you know, so... And I mean, sure, a lot of it's also part of the tools that I was alluding to uh, in terms of Lausanne as well, that my parents gave me, my friends. I mean, I was training with Reynard beforehand. Reynard is like my coach now. And, you know, he was a big um, sort of hero for me at that point in time. 
And yeah, you know, so it's just, you know, you learn a lot of things from certain people that make big impacts in your lives. And I think all of those tools just came into play big time, um, you know, when I was in my accident. So, and yeah, you know, as I said, like, I don't think I can ever say thanks enough for how easy it was for me and how I just carried on and how it was fun for me to figure out how to dress myself. You know, why should that be fun? Because I go to rehab now and show people how to do stuff and I see how they struggle and I'm like, I never, I mean, this looks hard and I never really struggled. I, for me, I just took it in my stride. And I mean, make no mistake, I mean, there was tough days, having to figure out stuff. I mean, I had sleepless nights. Some nights I woke up at two in the morning figuring out how I was going to pull up my pants sitting in a chair and stuff like that, you know. Other things that people don't realize is when you break your, your neck or your back, a spinal cord injury, is you lose control of your bowel and your bladder. Uh, you know, and you were on nap. That first six months I was on nappies. Um, then I permanently had a catheter in. Some guys anyway do. Now I catheterize. But, I mean, you had to figure out a way of how your body works now. Some use set pulls and go every three days and those kind of things. I mean, yes, these are crappy things to talk about. Sorry for the pun, but it's reality and it's life for us. And, um, you know, I remember, like, the, in the beginning, like, I, the first time I actually made it on time to the toilet when I woke up at 2 in the morning at night, whatever, it was like the biggest victory for me, you know. And these are things people don't want to talk about, but that for me, is the true victories. You know, those were the days where I realized now I'm going to make it, uh, you know, I'm breaking down these walls and these barriers. And look, I don't know, maybe those kind of things are the things that made me be able, make me able to do Ironman, but those are still my greatest victories, you know, is the simple things in life that we take for granted. And, you know, the sport was the more fun things to, to do and figure out, you know, the more glamorous things, if I can put it that way. So, but yeah, so that that's for me, in a nutshell, I'm just really grateful that I never really struggled. I just carried on. And, you know, for that, it's just a lot of grace from above. Wow. Peter, now we definitely do want to talk about these things because these are those little victories you're talking about, which are become greater victories outside of your office and your home environment. And you're talking to people that are sitting here grappling with very small issues compared to you. And I think seeing those in the light that you provide now is going to make a whole lot of people see through them and see past them and say, there's a greater life beyond this. And that's all we can have. We have one life, one innings, and we've got to make the best of it. So, uh, wow, hats off again to you. I mean, just just a few things you mentioned there about what you go through. Um, I just need to ask you and Luzon, when are you most in, in a dark place, if ever? When do you kind of find yourself thinking, you know, is this worthwhile? What am I doing? What am I going through? Am, are you ever in an emotional or physical state of mind that – People don't want to see because you're both role models. Everybody expects you to be, you both do public speaking. You both are medal winners. Everybody wants to see the beaming ray of light and sunshine and, and, and rainbow. When are you guys confronted by moments when you think, no, like I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a state of discomfort? So for me, <laughs> um, it, it, it's usually when I experience like a big training challenge. So for me, because I'm, I'm kind of always dependent on somebody for for training. Um, sometimes I, when and it's like a very it's logistically difficult, or I'm feeling like this is a lot of organizing to do, and I'm struggling to get everybody to be organized and to give me their plans, and you know to kind of like just coordinate schedule. So sometimes for me, those are are quite you know, then I start feeling a bit down or I, I just get very tired of, you know, just trying to coordinate schedules. Um, 
other times it's when I feel, because there are some times like these as well, and I think we have to also be realistic, there are some times where I just feel um, I'm struggling to get access to a place or to, to a um to a course or to something that people are kind of, they're denying me because they they are scared of how to handle somebody with a visual impairment. So I think those are, those are sometimes when I feel, um, you know, a bit down in the dumps. Um, yeah, well, I think those are, are some of the main things for me. Sure. Um, Peter, anything from your side on that? Yeah, well, firstly, I think I'm more of a role model because I'm in a wheelchair, you know, so I roll all day. Okay, fine. Sure. Peter, you're a classic. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. You are. No, you're a legend. <laughs> no, but I always joke about people always like telling you you're a role model and they say, yeah, I am. I'm in a wheelchair. I roll all day. I man. keep rolling every day. <laughs> oh, fantastic. No, but I'm just kidding. You know, to be really honest, I have to actually agree. I want to say it's almost similar to what Lizanne is saying. You know, my, the, the things that make me the uh, when you say down in the dumps, I almost want to say that, that those points in my life where I feel like yes, this is busy getting me down. I, that's the thing for me where I think that's also once again maybe one of the gifts I got. But you know, I always say you have you've got two choices, and you just need to make a mind shift to find a solution to any problem. So. For me, when that thing happens, I immediately sort of attack it and make that mind shift and make the choice to not get me down, uh, you know. So, uh, you know, I think I, for me, it's luckily like very short instances and then I tackle it immediately and it, it doesn't get me down so I don't go all the way. But it's it's similar kind of thing. So, I mean, obviously, yes, when you get a major injury uh, and, I mean, especially now I must say, look, when I broke my shoulder, I can't explain the pain. I mean, I've broken my neck, femurs, uh, my appendix burst without me knowing about it. I mean, I, I'm an absolute, after my accident, ongelukspul, if they call it that way. And, uh, you know, it was hard mentally some days getting up and, uh, you know, it was big mental battles. And, and sure, those things are, when I say the dark places, but where, when I'm struggling, when I have to fight my mind to not let, let it get me down. Um, but I, I've got my ways of tackling it immediately and making the choice and then sticking with that choice. And the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. But agreed, you know, uh, you know, again, some things like she's saying access. And uh, for me, it's more like working on my bike. Um, I can't move my hands and I have to ask my wife to work on it. And sometimes she's busy and I have to understand it. I mean, since we got a kid, which was an absolute blessing, took seven years to, to have that little miracle, uh, you know, and, I can't wait until he's maybe two years older from now because then I can kick Ilza out of the mechanic role and he's probably going to be able to take over because he's so obviously willing to just help and do these things but still a little bit too young to do them properly. But it's those kind of things where I get frustrated and, you know, I won't say in a dark place, but, you know, where I just want to get stuff done but I can't physically do it and it's sometimes very frustrating. Um, but again, like I say, you know, then you have to tackle it immediately make the choice and it's still a choice for you to decide I'm not going to let this, you know, keep me down. Let's just move on, make the mind shift. How am I going to find the solution to it? Or maybe sometimes a door closes to open the door, maybe take a shift in direction to whatever is causing that, you know? So, but yeah, you know, it's, it's really more the smaller stuff um, and, and access and, and things that you normally, 
that you can't do, which which frustrates and, and causes those kind of things. And, yeah, I mean, training rides or tough races like Ironman, uh, again, you know, those are where you, you find your toughest mental battles. Um, but, again, you know, I think us as athletes have got those tools. Um, so I think we, we never – we very rarely – go very deeply into that hole, you know, and I don't know, maybe... Well, especially you guys, because what you go through every day is so much more intense. By the time the race comes and you've got all the support and you've got closed roads and you've got a guide running next to you and you've got... Every, you probably think this is a holiday. Yeah, and then it's nice. It's easy. I'm joking. Yeah. And then you've got your guides cramping, like, just before you go into the stadium in the yeah. Tokyo Games, you know. <laughs> That must have been almost dark place. Yeah, so at the, at the end of the marathon... um we were just about to finish. We were, well, it started happening a little bit earlier. There's this one video that was, or like one place where there was like video taken and there was, so so Klaus was telling me, okay, let's just walk because I'm cramping. And he opened a gel and we shared a gel, but then it only shows me eating the gel. So it's like on 37 Ks and everyone's teasing me and they're saying, why are you stopping to eat then? There's no time to eat on 37 Ks. You need to finish. Um, so at the end of the marathon, um, Klaus cramped a few times. Fortunately, it wasn't a sprint finish because I think if we had a sprint finish, it would have been, you know, a different you kettle of fish. would have to drag him over the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he was so calm about it. He literally just said to me, okay, we need to walk because I'm cramping. I haven't cramped since my student days, but I'm cramping now. Um, yeah, so it was quite hectic. Um, very funny story afterwards. Well, did you have the same guard? I mean, you, you, your races were four or five days apart between your silver and the 1500 yeah. and your bronze in the marathon. Yeah. Did you have the same guy doing No, I, I had a different guide for track. Um, Estian does my track. He is actually also quite a good, he did, I think it's duathlon, the one where you bike, you cycle and you run. Yes. So, so he, okay, so he went and did his own race as well as yours? No, 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 no. He's just a good duathlon kind of oh, guy okay. so so he's fast but he hasn't ever done a marathon before he's a bit younger than me um so i think he will when he gets a bit older but yeah so i have a different guide for running road and a different guide for track wow so but you, you should broke, actually also you broke the record and you had someone slowing you down you were dragging along well like he he's now teasing me saying that it's my fault that he cramped because he had to put the brakes on for three hours and 11 minutes so i don't really know whose fault it is anymore <laughs> so as a matter of interest both of you guys I'm quite interested to hear I mean I, I am, am guilty just like everybody else you watch the Olympics and then there's a break and then the Paralympics come and you go ah, oh, this kind of feels like an after show and then you go and watch one or two races and you're suddenly watching a guy getting lifted out the pool with no limbs and you're going this is human endeavour this is not spoiled people who get paid millions to have sports psychologists and physios and da 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 and spend their whole lives on the track these are people who are up against it every day. That this is much more inspiring. How do you feel when the media attention and the money, etc., on the Olympics is there, and then sometimes the races that you guys put on and the show that you put on and the extreme human storytelling and narrative is 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 in the shadow of of the Olympics? To be honest with you, um, it's tough. So you know, I try not to. Well, I I try not to focus on it. I think beat is in a bit more of a, a better position in that sense that I'm, but I'm working on it. Um, but I've sort of been, in a certain sense, I've been under the radar, but in, in the radar enough so that I would know, you know, like 
if I can put it this way, an able athlete, an able athlete who gets into a, an Olympic final, you know, would get sponsorships, would get etc. etc. For me, I've been in in various finals, but I think sponsorships have have always been a challenge. Um, and fortunately now, you know, things are starting to look better with Hoka and 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 various other sponsors. So, but it's it's tough. I won't lie to you. Um, I think sponsorships. Do, does make things easier um it, it it definitely enables you um but but i also you know i i don't focus on it and that's not why i do what i do i do what i do because i love doing it um so so that doesn't make make or break it for me yeah exactly but but so so what i'm trying to say is that, that you know it, it doesn't break me um and it doesn't it doesn't change the way that i feel about the sport that's great. Pete, any comment from you on that? Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, I mean, I have to, to be really honest, I mean, I've also, a lot of the things that I've done, which is really amazing things, have also gone completely under the radar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to be really honest, after this gold medal, it was the first time I felt like, geez, suddenly now people are waking up to something. Um, and even though I've had a lot of attention previously, like, if you, if you think about my Ironman in 2013, there's still people only now waking up to it, uh, if I can put it that way, you know. So, but the, the point being, you know, it's uh, for me. Well, you know, we ran a big story on that. No, no, That's I know, I know. But I, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I really do appreciate that. But I mean, yeah, so sure, things do go under the radar. Um, but again, you know, for me, if you've got a dream and a goal, you need to own it. Doesn't matter. Those things are, are you know, are things on this side. But of course, they help. And, Yes, the, the Olympics tend to get more attention um, than the Paralympics, but I think that's also changing. But there's also a lot of things that I think people don't know about the Paralympics where I think sometimes people get completely blown out of proportion um, when there's so little depth in their competition. Uh, and I mean, look, uh, yeah, let, let me not name names and things, but the thing is just that the point being, in the end, being a semi-professional athlete already before my accident, and now, um, sure, you know, as a as a disabled athlete, you you've got a lot more struggles to overcome. And I mean, if you think about my disability, already there'll be way less people just doing it, so the depth of the field won't be that that big. Um, so it is very amazing, and it, it uh, you know for me, it's always the hard thing about is it just as amazing? I don't know because I think Olympics there's still a lot more competition, you know, so. I almost feel sometimes, yeah, they probably should be getting a little bit more attention. But there's some para-athletes, uh, I don't want to say some, quite a lot of them, who deserve the same amount of attention. But then there's a lot of para-athletes, I think, who's getting so much attention, but it's blown out of proportion. They shouldn't even be getting any attention, if I can put it that way. Because there's so many funny things, uh, yeah, you know, to all disabilities. You know, and it's, I think a lot of, Athletes will probably not agree with me on this one. I don't know how Lizanne feels about my comment around that. But, yeah, you know, I just feel, firstly, I think able-bodied people needs to be more educated around disability sports and then how severe the disability is and then, you know, go deeper into that. And I think that's where it becomes a broken telephone for me because I think it, there's not enough sort of education around the specifics of a disability, you know, and... Once you get that, I think people 
almost, I almost want to say then sponsors will come because they'll start realizing how amazing it is that somebody who's completely blind, because I mean, somebody like Luzon, she's completely blind. And there's so much that goes with that, that makes it hard to just run, not just physically and where you're going, but to mentally get over that you, you must just go and don't worry about a hole and that you're going to fall or run into a pole and trust your guide and all those kind of things versus a, let's say, T13 person who's also amazing. But I mean, I think I'll already be class T13 right now as I'm sitting here and I can always race able body and I am racing able body. I can, I can live life almost normally, you know. So it's just for me, I think those kind of things, if the public gets more educated around those things, I think it's great. And I mean, my last comment on it is just, you know, it's awesome to be an inspiration, but I also think sometimes people, you know, just because you get up out of bed and then you're so amazing, but, you know, everybody has to get out of bed, whether you're in a wheelchair or not. And they just look at the inspiration and they don't look at the athlete. And, you know, a guy who's really a serious athlete versus a para-athlete who is there for the human endeavor or whatever, but he's not really an athlete. And like able bodies, there's social athletes and there's professional athletes. And that's a little bit of a blurred line still in the para sports. That's a really good point, Pete. I, I think uh, absolutely. The stories, I think the stories need to emerge about, you know, the true, the true heroes of the sport. Like which are the guys who are, who are exceeding any reasonable, measurable performance level? Guys like yourselves who are up against absolutely undeniable odds versus someone who might have a slight disability and get away with kind of getting into an event that probably they could have able-bodied, as you say. I mean, there was a lot of dis- there was a lot of controversy over Oscars and the other guys' blades. You remember that, that people were saying they're going yeah, faster. Yeah. So, so what's your take on on that? On that? Now you can go. You opened a can of worms now. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. So, I mean, we have to carry on with this. But, but I mean, that's the thing. You know, initially, if you let's just talk about Oscar. You know, I think you know you he, he was the only guy with two legs uh, below knee amputations, and he was running with one leg, guys. And initially, they let everybody run because he was he was slower and they were still sort of fair competition. But then as it carried on, you could clearly see that the double double blades are actually faster. And the, the big reason for that is they can, within the rules, make both legs longer. But a guy with only one leg that, that has a blade can't. And, uh, you know, so there's – and also there's obviously the technology of the blades and the, all of those kind of things. So, look, what I'm trying to say is that it, Paralympic sport is still an evolving sport. And all the disabilities, you're never going to get all the classes perfectly and make it all fair for everybody. Some classes are very wide and some not, you know. But I think the most important thing for me that I'm just trying to say is that, uh, you know, that the public must really not always just look at the inspiration side, but actually appreciate the athlete side of things. And I think if they start appreciating that, then there will be even more exposure. There will be more sponsors but that there's a bit of a blurred thing on that because I think, as I said, there's some some cases where so some people get thrown out of proportion. Yeah, I I actually enjoyed listening to Peter now because I I actually want to do my PhD in disability sport at some point in my life, not now. Um, but I it's a very it's a very interesting take, and I, I think it's a very cool take because I think um, yeah, I I kind of I kind of agree. Um, 
And there are also, you know, there are odd, and, and this is this has also got to do with education, but there's there's there are a lot of classes where, you know, one or two people are very good and then the rest of the class is very not. So so there's there's a lot of education that needs to be done around around this. Um, and I think it's also, you know, people kind of like don't understand when I say to them, I broke a world record, but I won a bronze. They're like, what? Um, people don't, people don't understand, you know, how the different classifications work and, and that's going to take a long time. And, and as Peter is saying, you know, the sport is still evolving. And, and I think we as athletes also still need to be patient with, with what's, what's, what, with what's going to happen because it's a work in progress and it's actually such a big privilege you know, to be part of such a work in progress because it's so cool, you know, to to be part of, of what is developing and how it's developing. And you're accelerating the change and this movement. And please do your PhD because I, will, for one, will publish the a part of it or lots of it. And so I'm sure other people will be listening to this and want to key into finding those gem stories because the Olympic Games, the able-bodied Olympics, is always going to be a who's got the better hairstyle, the longer nails, breaking world records. Yeah. And all that stuff, and that takes a lot. You can't break a world record every single time you race. Whereas every time you guys get on the track and and race, you, your story is very real. And it's a, so much more of a story than someone who might have a great event but not break a record and not get the airtime. So, so you, I mean, you guys are patient by nature. You've been patient 16 years, Pete. You, you've, never, you've never shown that kind of frustration at... At, at life has served me badly and, and clearly it's not you. It's not in your makeup. Luzon, you've gone and you've, you've achieved so much in your life. Master's degrees, champion status. I mean, we're talking to two thoroughbred winners and we need you guys to tell your stories and we need to find out more from you, I guess, as disciples or advocates you know, of, of the sport of Paralympics um, is, is tell us more about those great stories out there. I mean, I, for one, if I was blind like you, Luzon, I would not feel it was okay if somebody who was partially sighted got a whole lot of airtime because if they can see the track, well, how much more difficult can it be with someone with poor vision? You know, I mean, being blind must be chronic. You never know if you're going to trip over something. You must have tripped so many times in your life that walking must be scary, let alone running at the speed you do. So so good for you guys for doing that. And, and I kind of also want to then get to another point is, you know, my mother, as an example, she she had, was in a car crash the day I went to the military, into the army, which was 30 odd years ago. And uh, I was 18 and she had a car crash and she was paralyzed. Within months, the only negative thing I heard her say was, I'm so sick of people telling me that I was lucky to survive. She's like, I wasn't lucky, you know? Just tell me it must suck having no movement, you know? Don't tell me I'm lucky because that that was it, it was detracting from everything she'd been through. She wanted her friends to stand by and say, it must be terrible. It must be awful. It must be so shit. How can I help? But when people say, well, you're lucky you didn't die. I mean, she actually, in many respects, because her life changed so radically, she wished she had died. And so often, I wonder, what if, when people tell you guys you're lucky to have what you've got because it's now got you to Olympic status and world recognition, and and yet, Pete, there was a time when you had to get help to go to the toilet and wear nappies, and Lausanne, you were probably a child that was teased at school or walking into doors. You've been through hell. So... What do you? What's your take on that? People say very weird things to me, but I actually don't think anyone's ever said to me, "I'm lucky." I'm trying. People have said other things. So, so you know, people. 
I think shame. I think people also say things because they they don't necessarily. I sometimes I think people don't think what they say. So so I definitely yeah. And and I think for me, I've learned to sort of desensitize myself um, to that. And you know what? Interestingly, sometimes it's people close to you who you find, you know, say something, and then if it like for example, if it would be my mom, I would just say, "Mom." Like, I don't appreciate what you just said and I don't think you thought it through. You know, so so with people I don't know, I just, I kind of just, you know, ignore it if I can if I can put it that way or if it's somebody that's not, like, important to me. And if it's somebody that that, that I, I wouldn't want them to say that I, I would, you know, I would be honest with them and, and say, you know, this is, this is not, I don't appreciate you saying this. Um, but people, yeah, people do say strange things. I've had people stop me in the mall and say and say to me that, you know, um, we're sorry for what your parents did wrong, and now you being um, now they they pun God is punishing them through you. You know, like people really say weird things to you. Wow. Um, I'm sure Pete's got a lot to say about that one. <laughs> but you know, yeah, then you just I kind of just let it go. Well, that's a very mature way of handling any conflict. So once again, I'm, it just makes you guys more able to handle everything in life, I guess, because you come from a, a much deeper place and things don't fall into place like they do for the, for the rest of us. Um, Pete, your take on, on people saying that you were sort of yeah. almost fortunate to get the, the kind of life you ended up with? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's parallel with what Luzon is saying in the end. Um, uh, you know, people say strange things and, and I also agree with, it's the people that you know and that are close to you that those strange things that are being said or or things are, are, are the most sort of disappointing and you try and, you know, just sort of tell them, hey, you don't appreciate that or try and give them context of why you disagree with what they're saying. But it's the same for me in terms of when it's somebody I don't know, I almost feel like they get a free pass because they don't really understand and sometimes they're uncomfortable with, the whole situation and don't know to deal with you. So I always say when I mean, you get people who can who treat you like a normal person, you get people who like overcompensate and like come and tell you like your chair looks like a Ferrari or whatever and it actually irritates the crap out of me. <laughs> but I know it comes from a good place because they, they're they just trying to be friendly and they just don't know how to deal with it. And then you get people who like try and ignore you and don't look at you and look away and whatnot when, when you look at them but you know they were looking at you. Um, uh, where, and then for me, the greatest is just people that treat you normally um, and rather ask the question straight and so on. But yeah, I mean, comments like you are lucky. It's a funny one because in the one sense, I feel I am lucky. Uh, so I hear what you are saying, you know, if the wrong person. Yeah, you know, and but at the, well, when I say that also, what people don't realize is they look at me and I'm in a wheelchair and I'm quadriplegic and they feel so sorry for me, but most people that had that accident is they are dead and I am still alive. So, you know, it's just, it depends on how you look at it again. So, and I mean, I agree if every single person comes and tells me, Oh, I'm so lucky I had to be alive. It'll just get irritating and annoying. Yes. But, but it is, there's a bit of a half truth to it. And that's why I'm saying before I go and crucify the person, I try and sometimes just take a step back and just think about what he said and then, like I said, you know, yes, it's annoying, but there's a little bit of truth and focus on the little bit of truth and from where it came from and that he didn't mean any harm. 
And I think that's that's the important part behind. But yes, I is it annoying? Yeah, once again, sure. you're a role model of how to handle things in life. Uh, <laughs> exactly, you couldn't say it any more wisely. But I mean, at the same time, I honestly think, uh, you know, I always tell people like I I was blessed to have a full life where I had a normal body after 23 years old. Now I'm learning a, a whole bunch of stuff sitting in this wheelchair. And it's again, once again, the attitude of how you approach it. For me, I see it as, okay, now I'm in this wheelchair. I'm learning so much because I'm in the wheelchair and learning things I would never have known and never experienced. And like the human spirit, everything. And, and you know, just because I'm in this wheelchair. So instead of fighting against it and talk, thinking about all the bad parts of it, embrace it and look at the things that you can learn and use and how it, uh, you know, how it sort of fills your life even more. Um, and uh, for me, that's if, just if, if a better mind. If little Pikman doesn't want to be your, your mechanic, I want to be. I feel like I want to be around you at least for a few minutes every day. <laughs> you're amazing. I love listening to you. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. That, that's, that's why you're able to do public speaking and, and empower people and motivate people because what you're saying is just absolutely the recipe for a happy life. I mean, what oh, a great thing. Lazan, um, if you, you're obviously been blind, you've never seen the colors of butterflies and the sky. You probably imagine them. You've probably read a million books. I mean, I don't even know how you read. When I was sending you messages earlier this afternoon about tonight's conversation, I wasn't even sure how you were getting messages on WhatsApp and how you've navigated the world. So, so I'm interested to hear your take on, kind of on what you don't see and what you imagine the world to look like and what you imagine the track and the and the medal ceremony and all the rest. Uh, this is going to sound strange, but I don't take a lot of time imagining stuff like that. I I kind of, I live my reality and, and that's what I live, you know. Um, I, I obviously, like, would want to see one day and I think, like, my biggest dream would just be to be able to drive my own freaking car um, somewhere where I need to go um, and not have to ask somebody to take me somewhere. Um, but I, I live my reality and I think, I think I experience a lot of things through other senses. So I, it kind of makes up, you know, for what I'm missing in a sense. Yeah, I can imagine. I've seen, I've seen beautiful movies or moments where blind people feel each other's faces and their sense of feel and their sense of smell is so powerful. And apparently those senses are richer than sight. They say that... Hearing and and smell and touch is is more powerful than sight. They say so. I also I just always tell people, you know, I don't know how you smell and how you hear, so I wouldn't know. Um, but but yeah, I think my senses for me make up for what I lose in terms of sight. Uh, Paul, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, just on that, I think Luzon should tell. Well, I mean, if if you agree, but tell you also like running with her guide. I mean, it was a question at one of the functions we were at, and it was interesting, you know, how she's saying, like, they don't really talk a lot, but she can feel uh, that, he, he, you know, Yeah, you tend to read each other fairly well. I, don't, I didn't know you listened to my answers, but did. I listened to yours as well in function, so that's good. Um, thank you. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I was just explaining at a function, you know, that – um, when you st when you run with some someone, it's really a um, it's really a very close kind of relationship in a sense that you 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 don't necessarily have to say something. When I run, I can feel I can feel the Klaus is not having a good day, or I can feel 
you know, Estian's a little bit stressed or, you know, you, you, you learn to, to feel a lot of things, although, you know, you don't have to always say it or they can feel, okay, Lizanne is feeling heavy today. I don't think she's going to be able to do this or, you know, so, so a lot of it, it is, um, is not verbal. I think, and, and in a certain sense, um, <clears throat> that also for me substitutes my sight, you know, the fact that I, I can feel things, although they are not even said. Wow. Well, I mean, many creatures don't have eyesight. They rely on smell and touch and all the rest. And so, I mean, I hope that one day we can all get to have that sense of feeling and connection because they say the best relationships are the ones that don't even need to talk. They're just happy in each other's presence. And so that does sound very special, uh, your relationship with your guides. That's lovely. And tell us now, another question. Um, You know, when people say, oh, you know, when you hear someone complaining about an injury that's going to take them out of competition for six months or, oh, there's no racing for, for, because of COVID or because of rules. Um, you know, what do you, how do you, how do you address a person like that? You could easily say, look at me, I've got much worse than you, but you must have a way of kind of doing it in a positive way. Look, I viewed COVID as an opportunity to prepare better. So, so for me, um, I think COVID for me was an opportunity to, to prepare more and work on things on that I, wanted to work on more. So that's how I viewed COVID. Um, and when people ask me, I just, I, I try to motivate them, motivate them to have that mindset. Every opportunity and every, and every, uh, every, like, is, every pandemic, every problem. <laughs> yeah. That's a wonderful mindset. Uh, another question, last question for you guys, just the way forward. I mean, you, you don't get more than an Olympic medal. There isn't another competition of a higher level. Um, you've both got academic success, Career success. What is next for you guys? Uh, Zon, you want to go first? <laughs> no, you can go. Well, first, I also just quickly want an interesting thing about the medals. You're alluding to it now. The Paralympic medal is actually very cool. Um, on the on the lanyard, or you know, whatever the, the strap, what do you call it? Lanyard. Uh, yeah. Lanyard. Um, if it's a gold medal on the inside of the lanyard, there was like one little sleek on button that you could feel if it's gold there'd be two if it was silver and three if it was a bronze um, and even on the side of the medal itself it's got one two or three dots for silver um, uh, gold silver and bronze and then obviously the braille that says Tokyo 2020 you know so they actually so even the medals was actually very cool so that a, a person could even just feel on the lanyard whether it's a gold or silver or a bronze you know so oh, yeah. God, don't put this in the podcast but we have nicer medals than the olympians but don't say this in the podcast you deserve them i'm gonna put it in <laughs> there's a lot more there's a lot more running to the, through these medals but no so i mean for me look uh, you know as i said iron man as a one-day thing was probably the toughest most impossible thing i did six weeks after breaking my forearm. Um, I mean, that's, it was just a miracle race. Um, but this gold medal was something I dreamed about since I was six years old. And um, so for me, struggles, fights, I was at the Laureus World Sport Awards finalist in 2016, but I wasn't in Rio. There's a lot of things behind that that was very disappointing and it wasn't um, through my doing. Um, but yeah, you know, to finally, through all the struggles and everything, get this medal 35 years at the age of 41, uh, you know, it's incredible. So, you know, for now, I'm really, I'm just embracing it, enjoying it. And, you know, as I say, it's not my medal, it's our medal, South Africa, my family, my the community where I, I stay in Sunninghill. I mean, it was insane when I got to, it was really special. 
but yeah, I mean, so right next is a marathon in to a marathon in Oita in Japan, which I haven't lost since 2015. Um, so I got invited to that one again, but that's in the racing chair. So I have to, uh, you know, I always train all three, but I have to start focusing a bit more in the racing chair now again. Um, and depending on my form, you know, I always try and get to that world record that's kept eluding. I've got all the course records on all the courses, but yeah, you know, I still don't have okay, that world so record. World records are still, are still out there for yeah, you know, so that's direct. Um, and then obviously, as long as my eyesight can carry me, if it carries me to Paris, um, you know, I'll be there. But you know, I'm really already struggling. I'm colorblind, I'm losing contrast. Uh, you know, going from sun into shade, I can't see a thing. Um, so you know, I'm going to have to, at some point, make a responsible call on, on my site and, and doing what I do. I'll never stop doing sport. I'll just have to do it differently. But there won't be a blind quad class. That, you know, that's fact. But, <laughs> Is there not a way to have a guide in a race like that? Well, I will have one. Uh, you know, I've got lots of plans because that's what I wanted to allude to. You know, I, I still want to try and get into Kona. And, uh, I mean, it's a long story. I won't go into it now. But, I mean, it's sad that they have not afforded me the opportunity to do. to do. And I have tried in different ways. Um and, you know, luckily swimming is something I do on my back and I, I have somebody behind me to keep my direction anyway. So whether I go blind or not, I, I'll swim. So, uh, you know, the Robin Island crossing, I did get up thermic shock. So I need to find a way to convince my wife that if I do take on the English Channel, um, I'll manage it without getting up a thermic shock. But that's also a long-term dream, if I can put it that way. But for now... You know, it's this, and obviously, just I'm, you know, crazy enough. I'm the world champion and the Paralympic champion in the same year, so I have a rainbow jersey to defend as well. So, as long as my eyes allows me, that's that's next on the cards, you know. That's unbelievable, Pit. Hats off, honestly. I don't know. I can't say that enough. How impressive your your life has been, your achievements have been. You as a guy, I've never ever seen or heard of you not being held in the highest possible light. You're amazing. Um, yeah, well, thanks for that. your plans from here? So, <laughs> I make a joke and I, I always, like, for, for the past few weeks, I've been saying it feels like my career has only started, which I actually think it kind of has. Um, so, so, definitely, for me, working towards world champs next year is a big goal. Um, but at this point, um, Estian and I and Klaus have had a chat and, and the overall goal is Paris 2024. Um, and I definitely would love to to break a world record in the one five, which would which would be very very cool for me. Um, and God Who's willing, the person who got the gold? Who do you have to beat in Paris? Uh, the Mexican who beat me now, and she ran a new world record by a few splits. So I need to beat her. Um, okay. But I, 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 I but she did I, beat I, her in the marathon. Eh? Yeah, yeah, you got to get the combo. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to get the combo. So. <laughs> in the marathon you did beat the mexican didn't you no the Jap the japanese there's a japanese goal um so uh, okay. i would definitely love to in paris go sub three for the marathon if i can you definitely can able-bodied person's dream let alone you wow you guys are there's no limits for you guys this sky is the starting point um so so you will hopefully see you both in paris i'd love to see you both at my i've got a triathlon in hermanus pit We'll start there. It's, it's the toughest 70.3 on the planet, as far as we can tell, called Race to Stanford. You both invited as guests. Obviously, Lausanne, you're there to uh, – uh, there's no reason why you couldn't do it on the back of a tandem. I mean, often I kind of wonder why you chose a difficult thing like running when you could have been on the back of a tandem bike. Hey, 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 don't underestimate me. I'm going to ride the 94.7 soon in November. Oh, you, this year? Yeah. 
in, in a month's time. Yeah. Two months yeah. time. Oh, yeah. great. Well, hopefully we'll see you in triathlon soon. Eh? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> very special. Yeah. Oh, you need to get swimming then, eh? Yeah. Well, I have swum a mid-mar, so it's, it's possible. Ah, okay, you're ready there. You're ready to go. Okay, we'll send you invitations. Anything is possible. Sheikh, guys, this has been the most wonderful chat. And I think from here onwards, um, I think what we need to do is ideally if you guys can cherry pick a couple of inspirational people that we might not know about. I mean, you guys are amazing. And perhaps you could even just feed a couple of stories into us and the general media about the cases that really deserve the limelight. Um, On a closing note, I just want you, I think you've mentioned the, the individuals in your lives, your family and friends. But you have got sponsors. I think, Luzon, we can start with you. I know that Hocus jumped on board with you, supporting you. Apparently, you're a very proud ambassador. And tell us a little bit about that and anybody, other, other sponsors that have helped you in your career. Yeah, Hoka has definitely come on board in the last few months. It actually started as a relationship that Klaus built with Hoka. So he was the first. He was Hoka ambassador first. Um, and they've, they've really been very supportive. And then there's also... Um, be- right before I left, um, Sweatgear also approached us, um, which is a local brand. So they, they also approached us and, and we're going to get some kits and stuff from them as well. So that's very exciting. What do they do, Luzon? What does Sweatgear do? Sweatgear makes um, kit. So race kits. Okay, so you're a apparel kit. sponsor. Yeah. And you called your dog Oakley? I'm, I'm assuming that's uh, there's some connection. I got her with Oakley. the name Oakley. So she, oh, okay. yeah, we get them named. So it was very cool that she had the name Oakley. Okay, we'll have to get you some Oakley kits as well then in that case if there's no yeah. choice. <laughs> Pete, your side, um, your sponsors? Um, yeah, so look, yeah, Deloitte has been with me since 2013, uh, you know, financially. So, I mean, and then, I mean, obviously working there, just, you know, they're like a family for me. Um, uh, they did say we're going to have to talk about it after the games. Um, I got a gold medal now, so I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but anyway, hopefully, you know, hopefully we can carry on with uh, what we've been carrying on for over the years. But yeah, I mean, great, we're grateful um, for them being on the journey. And then, I've like, got to say, I will, I will echo that. I think from the first time I interviewed interviewed you in 2013, Deloitte was there for you. You've never missed a beat with them. Big up to companies like that who support real humans. Who Absolutely. Yeah. I know. So I'm very thankful. And I mean, then like Powerbar, um, you know, Trevor Cena and Powerbar SA, I mean, geez, they also started with me on my first Ironman. I was nothing, uh, you know, in terms of on a, on paper medals and those kind of things. And, and they've just been with me throughout, uh, you know, in the beginning, there was no contracts, nothing. And they've just been there and supporting me all the way through. So Powerbar SA, you know, incredible. Um, zone 3, wetsuit swimming stuff, uh, you know, I started, you know, when figuring out swimming and what wetsuits might be the best for me, um, they weren't in SA yet, now they are, um, but I mean, I, I just sent a mail to the guy in the UK, next thing I knew, they just always supporting me with my wetsuits and, and those kind of things, so incredibly thankful for them as well, because they've also been there since 2013, um, and then guys like Cape Cycle Systems for Zip and SRAM and those equipment, you know, it's not a full-on sponsorship, but I'm like ambassador or call it what you want, but they, they support me yeah, in the best way they yeah. can. And they've been there for a long time. And I think that's how we met actually through Warren. Um, and then also Ikambi has recently come on with us, Wahoo Fitness, Cask Helmets and um, uh, Schwell Tires and those kind of things. So, yeah, I'm just really thankful for those guys. Um, and, yeah, I'm so probably missing. So you ecosystem. Have you got the whole ecosystem with a, with a uh, cooler, blower um, and the – Front and uh, front razor and dro- the climber and the yeah. kicker. No, no, no. Go all that stuff. 
I'm oh, still wow. I'm still using very simplistic things that works for the hand bike, so and a normal fan at the back. But I try and keep things simple. But uh, I just use the tools that I need to to train me as, as to the best that I can. Well, you train, do you have know, a slightly so. more complicated sport than Lazan, who runs. Who only really needs the shoes and the kit. But Lazan, maybe you could hire Pitt as a, as an agent for you because he sounds like he's a bit of a sponsorship. I player. think I will. We will chat <laughs> soon. Well, I've just been look. It's hard work all over the years. So. Um, just keep doing what you're doing and just keep asking the right people. And yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I've been blessed, um, but you know, people think it just sounds like, Oh yeah, it just landed on your lap. Uh, you know, you had to work hard and you had to ask. Yeah. And I mean, I'm blessed in, in a sense that everybody that's, you know, on board with me are actually guys I approach or brands yeah. I actually want to use. Um, so that's it's great. not like a sponsor that I just took because it's a sponsor. So Every every one that I just mentioned are people I believe in and brands I believe in, you know. And then it's so easy to to just love them, you know. So, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I can't say thank you. Lazar, do you have a watch partner? I mean, you must need a a calibration watch that's a, a GPS, etc. I don't have a watch partner yet. Okay, so that's a, that's our final message to all those tech brands. <laughs> a Garmin. She's a I also don't have one Garmin. Garmin. Okay, okay. We'll reach out to the right people. So. Um, yeah, on that great positive note, guys, thank you so much for your time. We thank hugely you. appreciate it. We'll be putting you in the magazine. We've got nice features on both of you. We'll put this out and hopefully you get the support you deserve. And hopefully, exactly as you said earlier, we accelerate the growth and the understanding and knowledge of uh, disabled sport um, and Paralympics and the whole environment, which is the most beautiful, insp- inspiring storytelling space that I think can only get bigger and better and stronger thanks to ambassadors like yourselves. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. It's been lovely. Thanks, you guys. Take care. Keep training and stay healthy. Take care. You too. Thank you. You too. Bye. Cheers. This conversation was powered by Zwift, the fitness app that turns indoor riding into a game. Explore endless roads, race riders from all over the world and boost your fitness with monthly training plans and structured workouts. Join the world's training playground where fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com and start your free trial.